So uh, my name's Chris. My role tonight is to talk about, um, well, to provide some context, really, around this whole talking around intimacy and sex. So it seems to me society makes quite a big deal um, about sex, and yet I wonder at times if it does such a great job in providing a context and a un- broader understanding of our sexuality, our sort of full human sexuality and what that looks like. So tonight, I want to look really briefly at the idea that we're created in the image of God, a relational loving God, and that we're created for connection and community. And then I think also that what, what does it mean that we have this image of God in us, living in us, what makes us human, and then flowing on from that, the importance of directing or channeling our sexuality, our connection with others, in healthy ways, so that deepening levels of connection are accompanied by deepening levels of commitment. So let's start at Genesis 127. Uh, it talks about how we're made in the image of God. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So I'm just going to spend a few minutes to kind of break this down a little bit. Um, so God created humankind in his own image. It means lots of things. Tonight I want to focus on what it means in terms of the doctrine of the Trinity. So there's this idea that God is three and one and one but three. So it speaks to the fact that God is a relational being. And amongst Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's this beautiful and profound mutual submission and honoring that goes on all the time between Father, Son, and Spirit. Some have likened it to a dance with the Godhead so intertwined, so affirming and loving and respectful, they are so close and so connected to each other that the three are one, and yet the one is three. So the image of a triune God is is the basis for which we understand that we are created for connection. We are created for relationship. We are created for community. We are social creatures with a deep need for intimacy and connection. It's just how we're wired. We're created that way. And in the image of God, he created them. So also, being created in this image of God, this relational, triune, loving God, there's something of this image in us. We all bear or carry this image of God. We are all bearers of the divine image. In one sense, this is what makes us human, carrying this image. And as such, every human being, every one of us, because we carry the image of a divine God within us, is worthy of profound respect and honor. And this image of God that gives us immeasurable value speaks really strongly to our ethics and our behavior when it comes to to relationships and sex. How we act towards others actually reflects very clearly our relationship with God. And so in a very deep and real way, what we do to each other as bearers of the divine image, we do to the one in whose image we are created. Thirdly, male and female, he created them. So gender is a really important expression of our humanity. And there is both commonality and difference. I think sometimes it seems to me we take the commonality for granted. I did a little bit of research, you know, the old Google thing. 98.5% of our DNA between male and female is the same. 98.5% the same. Sometimes I think we focus on what's different 
And we lose sight of the fact that all of us as human beings have a deep and abiding need for belonging and value and connection. This need for acceptance, this need for relationship, it's hardwired into us because it's of the image of the God and who we're created. So now for at least 98.5% in common, that 1.5% is still really important because there are differences. And I think what that 1.5% difference speaks to is unity and diversity and diversity and unity. It speaks to the two becoming one. It speaks to this relational dynamic that we see in God of so close a connection, so close a relationship that two become one, or in God's case, three are one. So that kind of leads me on to Adam and Eve, and I just want to quickly talk about Adam and Eve. They say that the Bible says that they were naked and knew no shame. Now, among many things that it means about naked, um, one of the things it talks about is vulnerability and intimacy. So we're not talking about physical nakedness here. We're talking about something of the opening of our soul, being transparent, sharing our thoughts, ambitions, fears, and dreams, our insecurities, to risk knowing and being known. This is what intimacy is about. It speaks of deep connection, of life-giving community. It's what we were designed for. And this connection of Adam and Eve, it's about marriage, but it's not just about marriage. It doesn't stop at marriage. It's actually about all relationships. The principles that are, in, that are found in that relate to all relationships that foster flourishing communities. It's about our relationship with God. It's about our relationship with others. It's about our relationship with ourselves and about our relationship with our world. We don't have time to talk about why and how things went wrong in that garden. But in a world today that is both wondrous and glorious in its creation beauty and fractured and broken in its current existence, we can experience both a deep sense of meaningful connection as God intended and at times a deep sense of disconnection, a deep sense that things are not as they should be when it comes to our relationships. In a society that I think at times elevates self above others, sex and intimacy sometimes can primarily be about me, about what can I get. But from a view of a relational, loving, triune God, a God that gives and receives in mutual submission and honor, we know that love is, is about giving. Love gives and receives. And in the giving and in the receiving of this love, relationships and community flourish. Yet in our fractured world, the sense of disconnection is a reality for all of us. And we are so hardwired for connection that many times without even knowing it, we take shortcuts to get it. We take shortcuts to feel connected. And sometimes in doing that, we shortcut the process of growing intimacy in our, in our, in our relationships and in our lives. So in our self-centered world, at times we want connection without commitment. We want to receive but are hesitant to give 
in the same measure. Yet I think that healthy, life-giving relationships deepen in commitment as they deepen in connection. Wisdom in life, I think, is often about understanding the appropriate levels of giving of yourself to others. We're talking about risk, trust, vulnerability, sharing, touching, loving, sex. And it's as our connection deepens, so our commitment deepens. They go hand in hand. If we get those out of order, sometimes that's where things go wrong. So in honouring relational intimacy in this way, I believe we respect the image of God in the other person and also in ourselves. We honour the full humanity of the other person and ourselves. At this point, I just want to really briefly speak to those of us who are single I've got, I, th- I think at times there are some quite unhelpful messages in our world around being single. Like, if you're not having sex, then somehow you're just missing out, or there's something wrong with you. But if you are single, those of us who are single, then not only are you just fine right now as you are, I think it's important for you to understand that Scripture actually leans towards singleness. Just look at Jesus and Paul two of the most influential people in the establishment of the Christian faith, both were single. And we would not say that their humanity was discounted or somehow they were missing out. I think just like Jesus and Paul, we can have a full human sexuality that can be a powerful force in our world. The key is how do we choose and direct the drive and energy that comes from our sexuality. Rob Bell has a useful analogy. He says that when God created us, he didn't create us as angels, but nor did he create us as animals. So it's not good to deny or suppress our sexuality. We're not designed for that. But nor are we designed to give, let it just sort of indulge it, let it run wild. There's this middle ground that I want to talk about very briefly. So yes, we are physical, sensual creatures. God created us this way but we are not purely biological or chemical reactions walking around in a body. We need not live at the mercy of our sex drives. When people do, that is often when humans become objects, not real people. And in objectivizing others, we both can dehumanize them and at the same time dehumanize ourselves. We can lose something of our humanity. And this is how people can, over time, become very callous and cruel to others. So the answer is not to indulge our lust. We're not animals. On the other hand, if we've been around in religious circles a while, sometimes it's just convenient or maybe more comfortable to try and pretend we don't really have a sex drive or pretend it's not as strong as it is. Or maybe you've been hurt, used, and rejected in the past. So something of us, and we all live in this fractured world. We've all done this. At some point, we close down, try and shut down a part of us Because that's easier than dealing with the pain. And it's easier than the risk of loving others. But we're not angels. We weren't created angels. We cannot suppress our sexuality. The thoughts and desires, hormones and attraction, energy and drive are very real. 
and God created it this way. It is good. So the answer is not to ignore or indulge. The answer is not license or legalism. The answer, I think, is in considering carefully how we channel our sexual energy in a healthy and life-giving way that honours the divine image in each of us. If you want one word, I think it's love. I think it's an abiding concern for the long-term well-being of others. And how we channel and direct our sexuality, our ability to connect with others, can add to the beauty and grace and peace and justice of this world. Our sexuality is not just about us as individuals. It's about all of us. We are an interconnected social ecosystem. What one does affects everyone else. When one hurts, we all hurt. But we live in a somewhat atomized, individualized society where we try and deny something of our essential connectedness. We want to live selfishly. We want to reduce our commitment and obligation to others. We want connection without commitment. We want sex without intimacy. And so we take shortcuts. And in so doing, we damage our connection with others. We disrespect our communities. And we ultimately detract from the beauty and unity of the world in which we live. Now, some may say that this relationship is just between me and them. It's just two individuals. But I believe it's not quite that simple. I think how you treat your spouse, how you treat your neighbor or your friend or your work colleague or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or the person who just stole that car park off you is not just about you and them. It's about all of us. It's about the world we're creating through our relationships. So in drawing to an end, we've looked really briefly at how we are humans made in the image of a loving, relational God, created for both connection and community. We are neither angels nor animals. And our sexuality can be a force for good in the world as we direct our energies in ways that respect God and honor the God's image in others, in ways that honor our full humanity the way God created it to be. In respecting the image of God in others, we protect the image of God in ourselves. Thank you. Awesome. Well, I'm going to follow on from there, and I'm going to talk about the culture that we live in and how to live within it. I think actually quite a bit of what I'm going to say dovetails in with where Chris started. We live in a highly sexualized culture. I want to paint the picture for you of the unhealthy and damaging way that people, and particularly women, and sex are viewed in society. At this point in history, the sex trade and human trafficking is the highest it has ever been in human history. It is the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world. Around 21 million people are sold into human trafficking. About 2 million children are exploited every year in the global commercial sex trade. And females make up 98% of victims for sexual exploitation, which speaks to demand. It can be easy to hear those stats and think, well, yeah, it's a huge problem, but you know, that's out there. It doesn't really relate to me and my life. But it does, because it's a symptom 
of what is happening and growing in the world that we all live in. Sex has become power. It's become currency. It has become an expectation and right for people to use however they want to. The devil has perverted and twisted what God created, as he does with everything that God created as a blessing. He creates counterfeits to the real thing. Some frightening stats for you, just a couple. 30%, over 30% now of the internet industry is pornography. And a recent study of over 300 of the most popular pornography scenes, 88.2% contained physical aggression or violence in them. And with a culture of using sex to sell stuff, it's caused us, as Chris mentioned, to dehumanize people into objects used for self-gratification rather than seeing each other as living, feeling, breakable human beings. This dehumanization is so prevalent that many people don't even see it as a problem or notice it happening around them. 1 Timothy 4 verses 1 to 2 says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. And I want to pick up on that last bit. What does it mean to have a seared conscience? The conscience is our God-given moral consciousness within each of us. If the conscience is seared, then it has been burned basically into scar tissue and become numb. Such a conscience doesn't work properly. It's as if spiritual scar tissue has dulled the sense of right and wrong, of conviction or guilt. The heart of an individual with a seared conscience is desensitized to moral pain. The over-sexualized culture we all live in can cause us to have a seared conscience if we are not careful to keep the Holy Spirit as our moral compass. It's an interesting fact that alongside the sex, porn, slavery industry, the beauty industry is also continuing to flourish and grow. We won't think twice to spend hundreds, maybe thousands, on all sorts of products, gimmicks, the latest fashions, gym memberships, teeth whitening, tanning, and it all focuses on how we look. How much time, energy, money do we invest in our inner beauty? It's a real challenge. How often do we dismiss a Life Keys course or a Bible study opportunity or counselling because it costs too much or requires too much time? 1 Timothy 4, verse 8 to 9 says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying. I love they added this. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, just in case you hadn't listened the first time. I think we are more informed and influenced by our culture than we realize. We have been brought up under this kind of culture. And even if we haven't intentionally sought it out, I can guarantee you that we've all come across it. We are confronted with sexual imagery everywhere we go. TV, billboards, advertising mailers, movies, computer games, internet, pornography. So all that to say that sex has become one of the biggest commercial trades on earth. It teaches men that women are objects, and sadly it is also turning around the other way now that we are body parts purely for pleasure. It teaches power and aggression through sex, which has only increased sexual violence, rape, and sexual abuse in our society. It saddens me to know that there will be many in this room who have experienced that. 
It teaches women that they need to look or perform in certain degrading ways to be desirable. It reinforces messages in popular culture and advertising that our worth is in how we look and our desirability to the opposite sex. And it goes against everything God designed us for and everything he designed sex for. Because of the way sex is perceived, and to be honest, the way it's been wrongly taught sometimes, particularly in Christian circles, that it's naughty, that it's dirty, it can be strange to think that God actually designed and created it. Sex is a good thing when it's used how God intended it. He designed it for marriage. He designed it for two people to become one in body and in spirit under a covenant with God. It is designed for joy and pleasure and intimacy between two people who more than just love each other, but have laid down their lives for each other, sacrificed everything for each other, and are together with God as the head of the union. It's designed obviously for procreation. Again, God's design was for family, father, mother, children. But due to the misuse of sex, we find ourselves with generations of broken, hurting, and disposed people, with broken, unfathered children often. Sexual diseases, aborted babies, pornography, degradation of women. That's been the result of where this culture has led us. So in this kind of culture we're talking about, that's all the bad news, what do we do? What do we do? How do we live within it? Well, let's start with working out what sex is. Should we put the chart up there on the board? I'm not going to do a demonstration. (laughs) You were all wondering what was going to come up on the screen there, weren't you? First of all, I think that we often think you know, under those things, where does sex fall? And it would say physical. It's a sex. It's a sexual act. It's physical. But what I've grown to understand, and as I read more of the Bible and in Genesis, Genesis it says about sex, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. United into one. Two individual people united into one. It has to be all four of those things. And, you know, even in marriage, I'd say that what can start out as a sex life with all those four things, creating intimacy, if pornography is involved, affairs happen, those kind of things that are led into a marriage, then it can go right back to sex being a physical act. These days, our culture talks about friends with benefits, or casual sex, or meaningless sex. But the truth is that sex by design cannot be casual or meaningless. It is two becoming one. It involves every part of us, whether that's the initial intent or not. Okay then, so what am I allowed to do? That's what you're asking. All I want to know is, how far can I or should I go with my boyfriend or girlfriend, and what if it's already too late? You know, it's human nature to want to know some rules and limits and be told how to live, to have some boundaries and parameters. But it's also human nature to break rules and limits and rebel against being told how to live. So I'm not going to give you a straight answer on that one. Who's heard of the swimsuit rule? <laughs> and those that haven't really want to know now. Starting with things, things like swimsuit rules where you can touch your boyfriend or girlfriend anywhere where the swimsuit doesn't cover. You know, that's a boundary. That might have worked in the 50s, but in these days, it doesn't leave much to the imagination. But it kind of misses the point. The primary thing to start with is that each of us is created, as Chris said, in the image of God. How am I honoring and respecting that image in others? You see, the problem is with the question. Instead of how far is too far, try asking how can my relationship give honor 
and serve God? Or how can I treat this person with love and respect and dignity? Or how can I protect the person I love? Remember, it's not just about you and your wants. We need to consider the other person. 1 Timothy, which I've mentioned 1 Timothy quite a few times. It's a great, great book to read. 1 Timothy 5, 1 to 2. Treat young men as brothers, older women as mothers, and young women as sisters with absolute purity. Remind yourself that until you get married, every person in your life is a brother or sister in Christ. It's a culture thought for you when you're <laughs> having to deal with that. I believe that decisions around relationships and boundaries and the outcomes of all of our relationships are influenced greatly by our identity and self-worth. You will make the best decisions in life and reap the greatest rewards in your future when you know who you are and who you want to be. It's very difficult to discover your identity in a vacuum by yourself because we are relational beings created for community. This is best worked out in a loving, supportive environment, like ours here at Life, among family, among friends. So who are you? Who are you really? Are we going to be influenced by popular culture and media, or by those who truly care for us in our long-term well-being? Psalm 139 talks about God who created us and knew us before we were formed in our mother's womb. So who am I then? I am God's creation. I am purposed and planned by a loving Father God. So if Father God created me, then I'm his child, the first place we find our identity. Before our parents gave us a name or knew us at all, before we found out what we liked to do or wanted to be or had any plans for our life, we became children of God. And as we grow in awareness that our true value is a gift already given to us by God, not something that we have to earn, we can relax a little and stop getting caught up in this performance-based culture of popularity. Nothing we have done and nothing we will ever do takes away that value because we will always be sons and daughters, princes and princesses, co-heirs and friends of Christ. Once we have the truth of who we are in Christ and the value we have, we can begin to let go of some of the substitutes we have for achieving worth. One of the many substitutes I'm talking about are relationships and sex. Don't sell yourself short. Don't create a stunted future from decisions that are influenced by everyone but yourself and your creator. The guy I started dating when I was 16 years old is the guy I'm now married to. Been married for 17 years. Your decisions now will affect your future greatly. Don't sell yourself short for just whoever comes along, whoever meets just one desire or need in your life. Whether you choose to believe it, decide to live by it, or not, want to accept it or not, you remain a child of God your whole life. It's just a matter of whether you join in with the family or reject it. One of the key aspects to a healthy relationship is respect. I really ask you to evaluate your relationship based on this. If there is no respect for your views, feelings, beliefs, or decisions, then to be honest, it's not really a relationship. It's a one-way transaction. Or maybe it's two selfish people each getting what they want, and in the process, again, diminishing their humanity in the process. First of all, I want to talk about saying no. This comes from what you believe about yourself and who you decide to give control or power in your relationship. From your identity as beloved of God, a child of God, 
I just need you to know that your boyfriend or girlfriend does not own you. They have no right to any part of your body without your say-so. You are in control. God has entrusted us with that power. Sometimes it may not feel like it in this culture of expectation over sex. But it's a lie. Your body, your rights. It's much easier to be clear about boundaries from the beginning and stick to them than find out along the way. Clearly say, I don't want to do that. If someone tries to force themselves on you in any way after you've said no, it's a crime. I need to be very clear about this because we have a culture of shame that goes alongside sexual assault and rape. And the statistics of unreported assaults is horrific, which only goes to further the problem. If this happens to you or has happened to you, the only shame is attached to the perpetrator, not you. Tell a trusted adult, call the police, tell a wise friend, but don't suffer any thoughts of it's my fault because. No is a simple word and it cannot be misunderstood. If you are taken advantage of while you're in a drunk or unconscious state, the no exists without being said because you have not given consent. This is still sexual assault or rape. It's time we stood up for the rights God gave us over our own bodies. Every decision you make has a future attached to it. Every relationship you get into will have a negative or positive outcome for your life and for the other person's life. It's not all about us. Do you know what? If they're not marriage material and you're still with them and doing stuff with them, someone at some point is going to get very hurt. Remember this. If you don't end up marrying them, years down the track, you become the person that took that marriage gift away from their future spouse. This is heavy responsibility stuff. There is nothing casual or meaningless about it. Don't be so foolish to think that if you're young and you have your lifetime ahead of you, that your decisions don't matter and everything will work out in the end. God does work everything for the good of those that love him. That's the truth. But we also have to understand that there is a natural law of consequence. And as good as God is, he's given us free will and we still have to live by our choices. What future are you creating with the decisions that you're making today? Not just sex and relationships, but friendships, alcohol, smoking, drugs, attitudes, learning. The list goes on. You know, if you've already crossed the line too far, if you feel guilty or ashamed, if you didn't realize what you got yourself into and now you don't know how to get back, please take a deep breath and know that it's going to be okay. God's grace is redemptive and restorative. He is in the business of putting broken things and people back together. No one is too far away for his love and grace to reach. You may need someone to journey that with. Don't be afraid to ask someone. Make sure it's a trusted someone. Be part of a life group, a youth cell group, a smaller community within the wider community that can help and support you. And I want to say it's never too late to make a positive change for your life. So don't let your past decisions hold your future to ransom. Start living according to the stuff today. God will honor that. Romans 8, 37 to 38. And I encourage you as I read this to change the word us to your name. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate Angela from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate Angela from God's love. 
No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate Angela from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Personalize it because it's written for you. Such a great reminder of God's unfailing grace, and we all need reminded of it. You know what, though? A seared conscience can also be restored. And you can reset your moral compass to the leading of the Holy Spirit. That too can happen today. I think all of us living in this day and age and culture need to continually keep asking for the refreshing of the Holy Spirit to keep our hearts and minds in the right place. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Can the worship team come and join me? I'd just love to pray into this area tonight. We're not going to have a ministry time because I think this is a very personal thing, but I do encourage you to talk to somebody if there's anything here that's kind of sparked some thoughts in you. Just bow our heads and pray. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit who is our helper. Thank you, Lord, for a community of faith that allows us to work out our brokenness and find our identity. We thank you, Lord, that while we live in this world, it is possible to not be of this world, to make choices in how we treat people we love that honors you and reflects your sacrificial love for us. Thank you, Lord, that it is never too late to turn towards you and your will for our lives. Today, for those that have experienced guilt or shame, been used or abused, I ask for your healing and transformative power to be released into their lives. And for all of us, Lord, we ask for you to transform us by the renewing of our minds. Wash us clean. Heal our spiritual scar tissue that we might see you and hear you more clearly. Thank you, Lord, that it is not by might nor by power, but by your spirit that these things are even possible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Sing a song.